As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake, and the backup Nathan. And today's topic is becoming a god. Mitch, how do you think one might become a god in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons? You find the Infinity Stones. <laughs> uh, I, I had that joke lined up like the second we picked the topic. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. And... To be honest, that's one of the fun things about this particular topic is that this is indeed one of those that does not have a singular solid answer because there are some freaking massive variables that will affect how one might become a god in a particular world. Can you guess what any of those variables might be? Um, I mean, by the time you hit level 20, you pretty much are a god. I don't know. Well... You're not wrong in just in terms of them being gods compared to, to average mortals, but the biggest variable is that exactly what a god is varies by dungeon master and just varies by world. There is no singular definition in D&D necessarily of what a god really is. So to give a more specific example... Are you aware of the fact that Tiamat has a character sheet? Uh, no. So, yeah, uh, from Out of the Abyss, I want to say, they actually do have a CR30 stat block for Tiamat, who is, you know, the god of evil dragons and a few other things. Uh, honestly, that's one of the downsides of a homebrew world, is that I don't actually remember what all of her domains actually are. But the point is, this is CR30, so 25 AC, 615 hit points, you know, legendary actions, yada, yada, yada. So you tell me, though, how much of Tiamat's power is this character sheet? So is this the full might of the goddess Tiamat, 
or is that the fraction of her power that is summoned to the mortal plane in that event? Oh shit, it's Rise of Tiamat. Oh fucking course, not at the abyss. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just clicked in my brain like, God damn it, Remy. <laughs> sorry. But the question remains, how much of her power do you think that character sheet represents? Yeah, are you fighting the god or are you fighting a fragment of the god? Right. Like, what do you think the answer to that is? Uh, I mean, again, that's got a very world to world, right? Well, but this is a, an actual official character sheet from the Rise of Tiamat adventure. Hmm. So what do you think the answer is in this specific instance? I'm going to go with fragment. Uh, the thing is, that was actually a trick question. It is not explicit what the case is. We know that this is the power of Tiamat on the mortal plane, but it is unknown, like specifically and purposefully, whether that is truly the full might of Tiamat or whether that is simply an aspect of her power. We don't know. And that's the most official answer that exists currently for 5th edition. Because it's not like there's a whole lot of other character sheets for gods. But that being said, as powerful as that is, it is up to some amount of DM interpretation to decide, is that the full power or is that a fragment? So can you think of what would be the pros and cons of either interpretation? Uh, uh, like, are you trying to talk like tied into lore or... Because yeah. I mean, you could say, like, you know, if Tiamat comes in full power, the universe fucking breaks, you know, but. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, especially for homebrew worlds, which is obviously where most of this discussion is going to lean. It is up to the dungeon master to decide how powerful a god actually is and how much power they're able to use on the mortal plane. So that is something that exists in many different forms of fiction, not just D&D, but other, you know, movies, games, all kinds of things that like a god is all powerful in their divine realm, but has limited influence on the mortal plane. So honestly, that's something that I generally like thinking about, because if you do truly have all powerful gods, then well, that is honestly a complicated thing for a setting, because if any individual god is able to just rewrite reality at a whim, just create and destroy mountains, cities, species at will, that's not a very stable setting to play in. So having gods have more limits on their interactions in the mortal plane is something that just makes sense to me if only for the sake of having a stable setting to play within. So I personally like the idea that, you know, you will only have these limits that exist of how powerful a creature can be on the mortal plane, because that opens up some fun possibilities too of, okay, so on the mortal planes, there are limits, but then on other planes, there may not be. And then that gives you options like if you do decide to do epic level games which we've talked about in the past episode to have even bigger scale things so that's where you can actually have you know gods old ones like <laughs> I, I think i've mentioned in the past but 
it is a common joke that you've gone too far in D&D if you have your players able to fight Cthulhu. And this is something that I myself have actually literally done, but I personally had fun with that. So I don't see that as a mistake. But it really is something to consider just for your world building is how powerful are the truly top tier beings, the gods in your world. So with all that being said, the topic for today is focused on becoming a god. So if you do have those kinds of limits on godly power on the mortal plane, how the hell does one become a god? So do you know if there are any actual canonical answers to that question? Nope. <laughs> so in 5th edition, there is not. Going back to 3.5, however, there is. And there's also all kinds of lore going back through many previous editions of D&D that talk about how certain gods became gods. And it's honestly complicated as hell because that there is not a singular answer. So to start with, I'm going to give the most basic answer and then we'll kind of go into some of the odder ways that a person might attain godhood. So I do feel it is necessary, though, even before I go to that point, to define what is a god in D&D. And yet again, there's not a singular answer for that. So they are powerful beings that typically have control over some domain of existence. And then that's usually, you know, interpreted pretty one-to-one -one for the cleric, you know, divine domains. But there are also different tiers of God. So mechanically speaking, the best phrase that I've seen used is actually one that does come straight from the 5th edition DMG, which is divine rank. So that basically there are levels of godhood to have different tiers of deity that are able to do more or less. So straight from the DMG, the top tier are greater deities. So beyond mortal understanding, can't be summoned, almost always removed from direct involvement in mortal affairs. On very rare occasions, they manifest avatars similar to lesser deities, but slaying a greater god's avatar has no effect on the god itself. So basically, think, you know, the Judeo-Christian god, like they exist, you know, he is, you know, was able to split off a fraction of himself to appear in the mortal world as Jesus. But, you know, even the death of Jesus was not actually harmful to the greater deity itself. Then you go into the lesser deities, which are embodied somewhere in the plains. Some lesser deities live in the material plane, such as the unicorn goddess Leru of the Forgotten Realms and the titanic shark god Sekula, revered by the Sehojin. Others live on the outer planes, such as Loth in the Abyss. Such deities can be encountered by mortals. So honestly, lesser deities, by this definition, are the ones that are more likely to be encountered by adventurers. So 
it is interesting to me that even though they mention these greater deities and lesser deities, they're not using any of the big names to really describe like, okay, so which category is a god, you know, like Bahamut and Tiamat? Like, are they greater or lesser deities? And again, it could be argued that they phrase it this way in 5th edition so that dungeon masters can make the choice of how powerful are deities. Because you can make the choice that there are no greater deities in your world and that all deities are lesser ones. In which case, they are much more limited than just the whole complete reality scale of things. But then there is another whole tier below called quasi-deities. So they have a divine origin, but they don't hear or answer prayers, don't grant spells to clerics, or control aspects of mortal life. They're still immensely powerful beings, and in theory, they could ascend to godhood if they amassed enough worshippers. Quasi-deities fall into three subcategories, demigods, titans, and vestiges. So here is where things get interesting. So they have a divine origin, but they're not actual capital G gods. So they're powerful. And again, here is the only place in 5th edition where it is explicitly spelled out. They can ascend to godhood if they amass enough worshippers. So that is interesting. So that tells us the only canonical information on Ascent to Godhood in 5th edition. So someone must become a quasi-deity and then amass worshippers to break the full barrier into Godhood. So, uh, also mentioned just a moment ago that there's subcategories of the quasi-deity. So demigods are born from the union of a deity and a mortal being. They have some divine attributes, but their mortal parentage makes them the weakest of quasi-deities. Titans are the divine creations of deities. They might be birthed from the union of two deities, manufactured on a divine forge, born from the blood spilled by a god, or otherwise brought about through divine will or substance. And then finally, vestiges are deities who've lost nearly all of their worshippers, and are considered dead from a mortal perspective. Esoteric rituals can sometimes contact these beings and draw on their latent power. I really like a lot of the stuff here. So, okay, demigods. So this is the classic, you know, Hercules, you know, born from a god and has the potential to ascend to a full god himself. Titans is actually one of the more interesting potentials to me, though. So this is saying that there are divine creations. So deities can just create a creature or a being of some sort that has the potential to ascend farther. But there's a little bit at the end there that is the important bit, too. Or otherwise brought about through divine will or substance. Can you tell me? another interpretation that might be applied to that. Uh, I got nothing so, right now. <laughs> let me put it this way. Or otherwise brought about through divine will. That is the most important phrase here after the worshippers one. Because this implies that a god is able to will the creation 
of a Titan, but it doesn't just say create, it's uh, it also says, or otherwise brought about, which could be interpreted to mean that an existing being can be upgraded into a Titan. So this is another thing that can occasionally come up in fiction and is actually mentioned uh, in a few other places in the DMG, that gods are able to infuse some divine power into individuals. I mean, that's how most people interpret the existence of clerics and paladins. But this is simply saying that it's possible to, for gods to go farther than that, to ascend mortals, potentially, into titans. And then once they are ascended to titans, that makes that mortal into a quasi-deity, which then gives them the potential to gather worshippers and ascend to proper, full-on godhood. So that is the main path that can exist for a mortal to become a god. A mortal must somehow get a god to basically upgrade them. So here is where the bulk of this episode is going to come, though. How the hell does a mortal gain that initial divine spark? So divine spark is another phrase that used to get used a lot more in previous editions. So that initial bit of divinity for a mortal to become a quasi-deity had a lot more options and more just discussion in past editions, but how a mortal becomes a quasi-D and gets that initial divine spark, that is the honestly the hardest part of becoming a god. So, uh, with all that being said, though, how might a mortal gain that initial divine spark? How do you get that tiny bit of divinity, practically speaking. So before I go off on some examples, like what would you think would be a reasonable way just for mortals to potentially get that initial bit? Perform an extraordinary feat. Such as? Uh, I don't know. Slay a titan, become a believer, whatever. Yeah. Like this really is something that used to be a little bit more explicit but it used to be canon in 3.5 that if you killed other quasi deities that you might be able to steal their divine spark but just like transformers <laughs> just like transformers it all comes back it all comes back the all spark ah <sighs> Or no, that was it the spark of leadership? There's a few different sparks. Uh, it was the ma- matrix of leadership. Matrix of that's yeah. what it was. Which is that different from the all spark? I don't know. I don't. Know. Unfortunately, I am a D and D expert, not a Transformers <laughs> expert. <laughs> but anyway, a mortal gaining. So, how hard do you think it might be for Immortal Two? kill titans like how powerful should a titan be 
I'm gonna guess hard. Uh, <laughs> hell if I know, man. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. But again, this is where some of the fun comes as a dungeon master because it is up to you to decide how powerful are gods and divine beings in your world. Especially because if you do want to go the interpretation of you can steal a divine spark, that also asks the question, how many beings with divine sparks are out there in the world? So what do you think would be a reasonable amount just of quasi-deities to exist in a D&D world? Sorry, I was uh, reading about all spark first the matrix and leadership. <laughs> what was the question? Like, what do you think is a reasonable amount of quasi deities to exist in a D and D world? Hmm. I don't know, a dozen, give or take. Really? So that actually how, how would big is lower the world it too. That is a good part of the question. And another part of that question could be. Are you considering just quasi deities in the material plane or in the entire local multiverse of D&D? Because if you are including places like, you know, the Shadowfell, the Feywild, you know, the Astral Sea, or just the, the you know, the godly realms. Like, See, I, if you I are was including just like, you that, know, the main, you know, plane that you play in. Like, I didn't, I didn't even consider multiverse stuff. Like, yeah, but most D&D worlds are a local multiverse like there are like the Feywild and Shadowfell are like the the light and dark reflections of the material plane so there are some amount of potential overlap and of course if you go into godly realms themselves like do you have you know a Zeus type deity who does sire way too many demigods and that way too many animals and yeah or as like, too many animals it turns out that all dire creatures Look, in the world are really just a number of generations removed from a horny all guy. i want to know is how does zeus seduce a woman turning into a fucking goose i i don't that, that's know a, that's a different podcast though. <laughs> <laughs> or just a different episode yeah <laughs> just powers of gods because if they are oh, anyway yeah that's for the future as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I have uh, another PDF about that subject, actually. Because <laughs> of fucking course I do. <laughs> but anyway, between demigods, titans, and vestiges, like, there can potentially be a lot of quasi-deities in the local multiverse. But, like you were saying, it is likely that there's significantly less on the material plane itself. And that's honestly a good thing, in my opinion. But you, of course, may make other decisions if you want there to be more options out there. Because demigods are specifically a deity and a mortal being. But would the child of a demigod and a mortal still have enough divine blood to be a demigod themselves? Is it like a genetics thing where there's a chance of it might pass on enough godly blood? If two demigods have a child, does that change the odds? Like there's a lot of kind of specific questions that you can make the rules for for your own world that don't have explicitly written rules. So there is a lot of just DM choice involved in the details of how all of this works, how much potential availability there is for such things. So if you do say that like the demigod gene can get passed on, then there might be a considerable number of demigods in the world. And it's even possible at that point that a lot of people might not know that they actually do have, you know, that demigodhood. So if you do have, you know, a lot of them, that might actually be like a source of clerics and paladins. So maybe there is individuals born in the world that feel like a connection to a particular deity or just domain even. And they might never know that it's because they are a descendant of that god. Like, you can make a rule. Like, again, there is a lot of this that is up to you. So you can ch- decide that, okay, let's say that there is a cleric who is a, like, a, you know, dwarf cleric of the forge who is a, you know, direct descendant dozens and dozens of generations back to Moradin himself. And then maybe you make the choice that maybe they do just have that potential in them, but then if they do survive all the way to level 20, that maybe you decide to homebrew, like, epic boons are something that is from the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide that is a way to grow characters after level 20. So maybe you decide to just invent a you know, boon of, you know, demigod, like boon of God's blood or some such. That is just a character that makes it to level 20 might have the potential to awaken like dormant godly blood to ascend into a demigod without direct like godly action. Like again, there's no single way to do this. And that's honestly part of what makes this so fun is the fact that it is up to you as the dungeon master to decide, do you want there to be more options for someone to be able to ascend with 
without direct deity interference or control because that creates some interesting questions as well so if you do say that there are ways to steal divine sparks if you say that there are ways for individuals to ascend to demigodhood or to you know steal the power from vestiges that creates opportunity in the world for there to become divine beings outside the control of the existing pantheon and that creates some real interesting big picture story in my opinion so mitch what would you think if just you're playing in a D game and you like your characters like let's say this is you know relatively late game stuff so let's say you're all you know 14th level or so and then you find out about the existence of a demigod and the knowledge that if you kill this person you might then be able to absorb steal whatever phrase you decide to use their divine spark and then know if i can gather some amount of worshipers i might actually become a god that sounds like a lot of work man (laughs) (laughs) okay you're right maybe not you personally but as a option in a DD game do you think that that is something that some players might be interested in oh definitely but i'm also like the kind of guy where it's like immortality sounds like the worst fucking thing in the world to me yeah like that's well that depends too because even in DD, gods can and do die so there are different definitions of immortality there is unkillable as well as unable to die a natural death so the latter category can usually still be killed but just won't die of age disease that kind of stuff see that's the way i would want to be if i had to have immortality because then if you decide that you're done with things then that's okay but yeah the unable to be killed type seems like that might uh get troublesome after a while yeah, I don't know how well I would do with f- true immortality. Mm. Plus, just like a mortal getting godlike powers, like I don't know if any fucking human or whatever other race we're talking in D and D world could honestly handle that power appropriately. Yeah. So, just to throw a few other things out, though, there are fifth edition canonical ways to become immortal. I mean, we've talked in, in past episodes about, like, there's the clone trick. Wish. But the thing is, wish, yeah. But there also is the the boon of immortality. Like, you just can become an unaging, unable to die of natural causes type of creature just by rules as written. Like, it's already a thing that exists. So... Honestly, that's another option that a dungeon master has is like, even besides just regular demigodhood, like, you can choose that there are other options just outside of rules as written. That is always a power that we have. So you can just decide, okay, maybe instead of actually just making a new divine boon, you just are going to interpret differently that any character who takes the boon of immortality becomes a demigod because you are 
immortal. Like it's in the name, boon of immortality. You stop aging and are immune to effect any effect that would age you, and you can't die from old age. Like that, that sounds like a pretty powerful being in my eyes. So then you have the option. So because it is a boon also, only a 20th level character would be able to do it. So this is one thing that I actually uh, glossed over by accident, but I do want to clarify. How powerful should a creature have to be to even have the potential for godhood? Because uh, at least 18, the, I mean. Well, I mean, again, there isn't a canonical answer anymore. So you could make the argument that you must at least be level 20. You have to start at level 20, and then you... Actually, so... Ah, words. An interpretation that I like to use is that level 20 is the limit of mortality, and that once you do try to find ways to push past that, you know, limitation... That that is where you start becoming more than mortal. Hopefully, you don't actually shatter the cosmology of your D and D world. Can you break the balance of D and D? Yes. Is that a bad thing? Not really. I like the idea of there being ridiculously powerful things out there. Like so, something that I have talked a little bit in the past. Like I like the idea that there are some things that even adventurers should just look at and say nope and just go the other way. So having there be multiple beings that exist that are like stronger than a level 20 adventurer, I like that. And having the idea for adventurers to be able to push past their mortality on their own, I like that too. So another just kind of big picture world building that I like to think about, if you assume that the things I just said previously are true, how would the existing pantheon react to let's just say that a let's just say you know a couple of individuals over time have just succeeded in doing this and just are able to ascend to godhood without any input from the existing pantheon how's the pantheon likely to react to that kind of like uh old money when they meet new money maybe but the point being, I think that there's a lot of potentially interesting story to tell for that. So it could be the kind of thing where you have a quasi-deity leading a cult, trying to get the worshippers to ascend themselves to full godhood, and the rest of you know the pantheon of you know full deities seeing that or just finding out about that and just deciding, uh, no, this is you know, this is an exclusive club, and you're not welcome. And then you just have basically dreams sent to clerics and paladins the world over and just amassing just an army trying to stomp out this cult before it succeeds. You know, or, you know, maybe the other way might happen of like maybe there is just some overworked god that would welcome the idea of a new god to just hand over, you know, part of their domain that they just don't care for but have control of. Like or start a new uh, religious war, you know, death to the new gods. Or maybe so. Maybe there is just like 
a or maybe there is just like a group an adventuring party entirely like this could be an epic level campaign itself where you have a party of adventurers that do together succeed in ascending to godhood and then just try to either you know just ingratiate themselves with the existing deities or you know potentially the more likely adventurer outcome deciding we are now gods we want to be the only gods so then you just have an epic level campaign that is a holy war of your adventuring party now gods that are just trying to just deal with all of the existing gods in the world to try to become the only gods left like having a god on god D war like that seems like that would be an interesting time to me hot god on god action yep so all that i've said though is the most rules as written way although with obviously a lot of homebrew interpretation but there are other options as well just that have existed in the past so technically speaking i mentioned that stealing of the divine spark and that was something that was talked about a lot more in the past but besides that there was also the idea that if you can successfully kill a god somehow that there might be the potential to claim their domain or domains to ascend to godhood directly from that but again this is where how powerful are gods in your world becomes very very relevant because if you truly have all powerful gods that ain't gonna happen but if you do have the interpretation that gods aren't all powerful and that like the tiamat stat sheet is full powered tiamat well then that becomes something that a party of adventurers might be able to deal with so another option actually i was reminded of by something you said earlier that you yourself are not super sold on full immortality and it might be possible for a god to just get tired so maybe you do just have a god who is done with it and just decides i don't want to do this anymore and then either just just you know unmakes themselves from existence or just makes the choice of okay uh you are you know a cleric i've had an eye on for the last century or so uh you're good you're gonna take my place and be the new me and i'm done bye-bye and you know then they just dissolve out of existence again i just kind of uh pictured the meme of professor farnsworth i don't want to live on this planet anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah and honestly like if you do have like let's say that there's you know a god of nature that just has like a continent that is the big focus for them and then that just becomes industrialized over a couple centuries that might suck for them and they might just decide like i I don't want to do this anymore just i'm done you're telling me melora wouldn't be a fan of the industrial revolution i'm not gonna get into that (sighs) but another thing that i think might be kind of neat that this also could be another just entire campaign idea of just there is a god that just is done and so they make a choice and basically imagine if a god pulled a willy wonka 
where you just have the god create some sort of contest to become the new them. That could get nuts on a global scale very, very easily. And that seems like something that would be a lot of fun for me personally. Like, that is an idea that I would enjoy playing. Countries collapsing, you know, continents getting torn apart. Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine if just, like, all the most powerful people in, like, in the world just find out there is a chance now to ascend to godhood with a, you know, theoretically easier way than the long process would take. Like that, oh, shit. Just that imagine would what would nuts. happen if that happened on Earth. <laughs> like, oh boy, yeah. If there's, <laughs> but also that would be the question of like, what would be the contest itself? <laughs> like, what would you know? Would it be funny too if we actually just found out at that moment? Like, yeah, it turns out there is no Judeo-Christian God. The, the Greeks had it right all along, and then it is the whole Greek pantheon that really run things, and we were just all wrong. Like, that, that would be just such a strange. Anyway, that was a random mental tangent. Sorry. Uh, where was I? Uh, right. So another option, though, like it is possible for gods to die or just for there to be domains that exist that don't have like a god who is in charge of that. So it could also be possible for the pantheon that exists in your world to make the choice, hey, like we have an opening here for whatever reason, and just we want to just either pick a mortal to ascend, or just, again... We did explicitly say that gods can create quasi-deities, so maybe the Pantheon themselves just create a new god or ascend someone into a new god. Either of those are possible. Now hiring, entry-level position, must contain. <laughs> oh, man. Just try oh, Man, there's a part of me that just wants to write a wanted ad now for a god, just, just for fun. Anyway. So all that being said, there is not a singular way on how an individual can become a god or a new god can come into existence. It is, as ever, up to the dungeon master to decide exactly how gods work in their world, and then what would the process and options be, options plural, to point out again, for someone to become a god in your world thanks for listening to this episode of riffs and rules please leave us a review and give us five stars on itunes also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast to your start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content early access to episodes access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast and even input on riffs and rules topics Find us on social media on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.